Hi, and welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Before we jump into today's guest, I want to talk to you about our On and Off Beverage Week events happening June 13th to 15th in Orlando, Florida. This week of events includes our annual Beverage Alcohol Retailers Conference, put on by Beverage Dynamics Magazine from June 13th to 15th. Bark, as we call it, is the only off-premise retailer event in the industry. It's for independent retailers, large and small, with three days of high-level education and valuable networking. Beverage Week also includes our Cheers Beverage Summit, also June 13th to 15th, put on by Cheers Magazine. Intended for on-premise beverage executives, this event includes products and resource discovery, cost-saving ideas, best practices, thought-provoking panels, and unique networking opportunities. We hope to see everybody there. Today, we're going to be talking about French wine, and our guest is Robert Cavanaugh, the wine educator and marketing director for the wine marketing company, Adventure Wine. That's right. You know, Robert is like the perfect guest for on and off because not only is he an expert in French wine, he also has vast experience in both the on and off premise, including executive positions he held with Ritz Carlton, Total Wine, and Marriott International. Welcome, Robert, and thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I, I absolutely can't wait for Bark. It's a really good time. I look forward to it every year. Should be a lot of fun in Orlando. Uh, we appreciate you saying that. And you have been to Bark in the past, I believe. So we're looking forward to uh, having you back again. Um, France has such a great reputation and long history in winemaking, you know, that it's kind of hard to know where to start. Uh, in our Spirit of France supplement, which is out now with our Spring Magazine editions, we looked at some of the major wine regions, such as Burgundy, Bordeaux, the Loire Valley, and Champagne. Uh, what are some of the popular up-and-coming French wine areas, and what are your thoughts on them? Well, I'd say the south of France has been enjoying phenomenal success in the past few years. They have a, a nice range of, of styles, exceptional growth, and a recognition of the true quality and great value of these wines are really driving imports and sales into the U.S. There's just so much diversity in style, crisp, dry whites, fruit bursting rosés, big, bold reds, dessert wines. It really has a little bit of everything there. So, I mean... Everyone loves the south of France, um, but that's, it's a huge area. I mean, what are some of the different regions and types of wines coming from there? Sure, it, it is absolutely a huge area. It's about a third of the total French wine production and accounts for about five or 6% of the world's wines. It's just a huge supply of wine coming from the uh, sun-drenched Mediterranean. They produce about 165 million cases and they export about 43 million. So for wine buyers in the U.S., that opens up a lot of options, especially in Languedoc, Roussillon, Cahors, uh, the whole Occitanie area. There's just so much Provence, Southern Rhone. There's just so many areas. And there are so many good places that produce good wine now globally. You know, obviously America, South America, Eastern Europe, Australia. Do you think that helps or hurts French wine? I think uh, the global marketplace is definitely more competitive. And while that initially cut sales into French wines, I think it benefits the industry as a whole since quality and value are equally important. 
Um, the U.S. experienced 25 years of continuous growth in wine consumption, and now we're back on track for even more growth. That's a benefit for everybody, including the regions who traditionally own the perception of having the best and highest quality wines in decade past. Uh, it really is just a great time to be in the wine industry, both as a consumer and as a profession. Oh, we've all seen, you know, the explosion of interest in rosé in recent years. Um, you know, has that given French wine a boost since so many people tend to associate it with the south of France and, you know, that the dry Provence style of rosé? Oh, yeah, very, very much so. Uh, dry rosé continues to be extremely popular on a global level more recently in the U.S. and pretty much all year round. It's just such a great food wine. It's perfect as an aperitif or it's on its own. France contributes about 11% of the world's rosés offerings, and they've had a big increase, about 25% in the past two years, especially around Provence, as you mentioned, uh, the Rhone Valley, Languedoc, even uh, regions known worldwide primarily for big red wines like Bordeaux. They're bringing out lighter, easier drinking rosé styles that can be enjoyed anytime. Rosé, speaking of it, where do you think we are in terms of the rosé trend? How much more growth do you see ahead, in other words? Continuing. It's it's continuing to grow. It just uh, it took years and years for it really to take off, primarily because there was a perception that anything blush was sweet. Now that people are trying it for a number of different reasons, I just think it's going to continue and continue to get uh, more popular. I really like it cool, but not too cold. You really taste the expression of fruit when it's not overly chilled. And can we also talk a little bit about rosé being a cross-demo product? I'm always um, impressed by just how many people drink rosé. It's certainly not just a female wine. It's certain, you know, we've all heard the funny term brosé. It just seems like it's a wide demo behind rosé. Yeah, we, we have definitely seen it since our, our job is to be into retail stores we don't see much, uh, certainly not what we thought of primarily female driven, although females do drive the wine buying dollar. Of it is equally enjoyed by men and women. Um, I think uh, especially not just in, in the U.S., but in France as well. Men and women are enjoying it. Uh, they're enjoying it at different times of the day. Um, the French like to say a meal without wine is called breakfast. So, so rosé is great in the afternoon. It's great in the early evening. Um, and every time I try one, I'm like, my, my, why am I not drinking more and more of this? So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about sparkling wine because you know France makes a lot of great sparkling that isn't champagne, and I, I don't think a lot of people know about them. You know, the attention is a lot on prosecco right now and cava at the lower end. And then champagne at the much higher end, but there's a lot in the middle that um, the French producers are making. You know, do do you think that they need to do a better job promoting some of these sparklers and you know the whole concept of of Cremant wines? You know, better than they are doing. I think this is a real opportunity for growth, more so than in many other categories. I mean. Uh, Blanquette and Cremant wines are definitely overshadowed by the more famous Champagne region. And um, the sparkling wine category is really starting to see opportunities to grow as well. I think to best promote these wines, the category really will take off once we expand the notion that you don't need a reason to celebrate with a bottle of sparkling wine. 
uh, dinner, there's, there's a perfectly good reason to celebrate. So uh, <laughs> try it on Tuesday, as we say, try it on a Tuesday. You'll be really surprised at how much a glass of sparkling wine will liven up an evening on a regular weekday. So we really want to get that message out. It's a nice way to kick off your evening. So why wait until New Year's or a birthday to celebrate it, especially when there are so many good price points, really good wines and price points. Limu, great example. Isn't uh, that where sparkling wine was discovered, allegedly? I, I wasn't going to get too into it, but yes, in 1531, <laughs> that is where I hate to burst champagne's bubbles, but uh, they've been producing wines at the uh, Abbey Saint-Hilaire in Limoux you know, for a couple, couple decades before the first corks popped up in the northern Champagne region. Yeah, I had heard, uh, I think when I was there, that um, Dom Perignon perhaps passed through this abbey and maybe saw what they were doing and <laughs> took it to Champagne, but I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> it don't really is a Champagne. And I love the fact that you can still get Saint-Hilaire wines. That was the first at the Abbey Saint-Hilaire from the Dominican monks. You can get this in most stores. They have a, a I've seen them pretty much nationally. So, but there's just so many good names coming out of Limoux, uh, Antec, Saint-Hilaire, Gerard Bertrand, Fer Lafette, uh, Jean-Claude Mas, just a, a real good example. And the key is try different sparkling wines. You will really be impressed. There's something for everybody. Speaking of trying different things, what are some of the unique and or unsung varietals you see coming out of France right now? Unsung varietals. That's a good, that's a good one. I love the Cote d'Aron area, uh, the blended wines of the Cote d'Aron. They have so many lesser known wines that are producing really fantastic blends of uh, Bourbonlanc, uh, Grenache Blanc, Roussan mm -hmm. and Marsan. Viognier is starting to gain in popularity in the U.S., but it really just doesn't get enough credit. I, very rarely have I put a Viognier in somebody's hand and they didn't like it. It's just a fantastic wine. Uh, for reds and rosés, I like the uh, Grenache, Morvedre, Sanso blends. Mm -hmm. um, Rhone is just a great place to try some outstanding wines, especially in the southern area where most of the production takes place versus the northern Rhone, which tends towards single varietals. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are afraid to pronounce Viognier, you know, and I, and I don't blame them. And that's, you know, that's true with a couple other of the French wines. Hertztraminer comes to mind. <laughs> right, right. They say that's why, you know, Chardonnay took off because it's like, oh, it's easy to say. And people could suddenly, you know, specify the wine by grape, which, you know, we never did. Before. That's a really good point. Moore. That's, a, that's mm -hmm. a really good point. Uh, but again, people are getting more and more helpful and on-premise. Um, it's the key is really to get into on-premise and off-premise, you know, since we're doing a lot of uh, uh, demonstrations and retail stores, try them. You know, we'll teach you how to pronounce them. But if you haven't tried Gewürztraminer or Viognier or some of these other wines, you're, you're missing out. There's just so many good things out there. Well, that brought up a question I thought of as you were talking is just how much do younger drinkers, the millennials and even some of the... Um, uh, Gen Zers who are now graduating into LDA age, how much do they know French wine? Do, do you think they're intimidated by French wine? Are they eager to learn? I'm just wondering what, where you see the younger uh, drinking generations uh, when it comes to understanding and appreciating French wine. 
Well, in the past few years, we've seen that uh, millennials and Gen, Gen X, Gen Z, rather, uh, they're trying not just wines, but spirits as well. They're trying a little bit of everything. And they don't hold the old notion that uh, the only wine regions in the world are France, Italy, and Spain, um, which again goes back to the global marketplace. There are some really good wines coming from the U.S. and South America and Australia and just so many different regions. They seem more open and they seem more open to learn. The question is, is can we get them get them to try the wines and get them in their hands? Once it's an easy thing to fall in love with. You know, wine is just so fantastic. So, yeah. right. I also that you know the younger generation they they want to learn they're not intimidated at all. Like, you know, we're just laughing about things that are hard to pronounce. You know, they're, they're, they don't really care about, you know, if they get it wrong or, or whatever, the way previous generations, you know, didn't want to be, didn't want to look foolish and were very intimidated by the whole idea of wine service. True, true. And, and to their credit, the French have really been helping out a lot. Um, every now and then when I go into old cellars, I like to spin around old Bordeaux bottles. You will not see the varietals listed on some of these older Bordeaux, but now, of course, you see it everywhere and they're starting to put descriptive phrases and um, making it much easier for the consumer, which to Kyle's point, they have to because the yeah. global marketplace is getting more competitive. So, Right. Like when, when my parents were drinking wine, you know, all red was Burgundy and all white was Chablis. And I think pe <laughs> people still get confused. Like is, is an all white French white Chablis? And uh, they'll say, oh, I don't want Chardonnay. Give me a Chablis, you know, <laughs> it's the same thing. We still run into that now and then, but it's, it's getting better, so. Yeah. I, yeah, I, and I just want to second what you said, the, uh, the idea that French wine branding has improved. I, I, that's my big takeaway from French wine in the last couple of years. I just find the branding much easier. Uh, speaking from the millennial perspective myself here, I find the branding much easier to uh, understand and read. And I do appreciate that it's varietal forward now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a style of white wine that I have put into literally thousands of people's hands called Peak Pool de Panay. It's an area and it's also a grape. I would say 95% of the people have never heard of it. 100% of the people who tried it love it. And 95% still get the name wrong, but it's like <laughs> the peak pull, dependent peak, uh, that one, the white one <laughs> loved it. That's what usually the review. They love it. <laughs> yeah. I think that is one when you see it for the first time, it's like, I'm not sure how to say that one. <laughs> But once you try it, you go back time and again. And that's why you see it case stacked in so many stores, because it is such a great, easy drinking, fresh white wine. So that would come under unsung heroes, I think. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So I was I did a seminar um, online about the Armagnac region and that brandy. And they were saying that nobody really made wine in Armagnac before it was all about, you know, the brandy, but they've just started to make wine there because, you know, it takes so long to age the, the Armagnac. So they want to have a product to get to market sooner. And um, also, I guess the wine they're making is a lot better than, than maybe it used to be. Have you seen any of the, the wines coming from the Armagnac region? 
A little bit, uh, you know, it's a type of French brandy from Western France, very, very similar to cognac. You can enjoy it on its own, or you can enjoy it as part of a cocktail. The big difference between cognac and armagnac is the distillation process. And um, as far as some armagnac vines, they, they like to grow in quartz sand. Um, Ba armagnac is one to look for. The, the area is divided into three different crew. So we recommend looking for Ba armagnac or also known as black armagnac. It's a, O armagnac is another one also known as white armagnac. And that's primarily the soils that are limestone except around the Southern area. And uh, Tenerez, which is difficult to pronounce, but you're starting to see more and more of them coming out of the area of Western France. The vines grow in soils that are clay and limestone. So a lot of opportunity. Again, it's a question of just trying it. You know, you, you, everyone's heard of cognac. Fewer people have heard of Armagnac. Right, right. Um, I was reading in, you know, in New York Times, the, the wine school column, uh, last, the last time they looked at the Languedoc wines, and next time they're going to look at reds from Corsica, which I thought was interesting because um, I was lucky enough to, to go there on a trip, press trip a couple of years ago. And, and the wines are very interesting, you know, French with a lot of Italian influence. Um, but again, it doesn't seem like it's, it's a wine region that most people are aware of, or maybe there's just not as wide availability in the U.S. Um, have you seen interest in wines from Corsica recently? A little bit and more and more, again, as, as we're starting to see more, you know, the island area in the south of France. Uh, I think you summed it up really well when you said it, it's kind of like has one foot in Italy, one foot in France. The area is known for their, their beaches and scenery, but it also makes some really, really nice subtle rosés. Those are what we first look at there. And uh, they're enjoyed young. You know, Corsica wines are really good with, with some meals some of uh, the areas to look at. Again, they're a mouthful to pronounce, but Patrimenio, that's a good area, known for classic Corsica wines. Azaccio, that's another area. The French wine boasts, you know, the Hyatt's probably the biggest region in that area. Most of the vineyards are located uh, a little bit on the high side, so they get a lot of sunshine. Um, Cap Corse wines, all these wines, when you're looking at wines of Corsica, I think the thing is just to try them. Try them and see what you like. There's just, you know, so many different regions out there. You know, it's almost a shame to buy the same bottles over and over again. One of the issues affecting all of wine right now is uh, climate change. And I was just wondering, how do you see it affecting French terroir and harvests? Well, I think it's already impacting it. And when we say climate change, we want to also add in extreme weather as well. A lot of the wine professionals I talk to just simply look at climate change as global warming, getting warmer. I think it's more the extreme weather. Um, we, we, and we've seen quite a bit. Um, we've seen hailstorms, uh, hot, warm summer rains, rising temperatures, sometimes equal vine disease. Uh, the spring frosts we've seen, bud break occurs earlier, which is kind of throwing off the timing a little bit. Shorter winters equal earlier bud break. All sorts of things are happening, and the wine industry is adapting quickly. Uh, the hailstorms that happened a few years ago in Bordeaux, those were just really bad. Two or three days can really impact the entire vintage, and that's a, a little scary. So, But right. adaptation is going to be the big thing, adaptation. Mm. So, well, I mean, the records for 
you know, making wine in France go back centuries. And that's been really helpful for climate scientists to to see, you know, when the harvest was and, you know, exactly mm -hmm. what was going on and how much it's accelerated just in the past, you know, 20 or 30 years. That's true. I think uh, June of last year was uh, the second uh, warmest June they've ever had in France. And so that's going to, you know, earlier bud break, earlier harvest, everything's going to change a little bit. So it's not just warming weather, which impacts positively in the South, uh, but really could cause some problems up in Burgundy. So Bordeaux is a great example. Bordeaux has just been blessed with a series of great vintages because of that warmer weather. And those are warmer weather varietals, Berlot and Cabernet. Um, but uh, <laughs> Pinot Noir is difficult enough to grow in, uh, in Burgundy. So with warmer weather, it's going to be even tougher. So yeah, for sure. So when my parents were drinking wine while I was growing up, all the red was they just called Burgundy and all the white was Chablis. Um, so that's so many people think that Chablis is just white wine, but it's actually, can you explain a little bit about, you know, that being a region and also where Chardonnay or other varietals come from? Sure. And your parents were not alone either. And then in the 1970s and 60s and 70s, you know, Chablis was a generic name for the white wine. Chardonnay is a grape and Chablis is a famous area in Burgundy that makes that grape, especially in their white wines. Chablis is, uh, is a little bit cooler than most of the Chardonnay regions around the world. So you get a little bit more acidity. Cooler weather brings up the acidity. It also has a little bit less alcohol because sunshine stimulates sugar in the Chardonnay grapes in warmer areas, and that converts to alcohol power and flavor. So Chablis is a Chardonnay version that's a little bit softer, a little bit more acidic. You get a little less alcohol, but you get a lot more fruit. The French tend to use a little less oak influence than warmer areas, so you taste a bit more fruit and even a hint of mineral that you might miss in big oaky Chardonnays from warm weather areas like Napa or Australia. Uh, it's really a different style and it depends on what you like. Uh, my favorite Chardonnay is always an open one. So I try as many different ones as I can mm -hmm. from different areas. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that drives, you know, Psalms crazy when people say, oh, I don't want any Chardonnay, you know, bring me a Chablis. <laughs> <laughs> just don't bring know. me so or Chablis. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's certainly plenty to cover when talking about French wine, but I think we're about out of time today. So we will have to I'll have to amass some of my other questions and topics for another time. But I want to say thank you so much, Robert, for being with us and enlightening us on, on some of the wines from France. My pleasure. And I'm counting the days till Bark and Cheers in Orlando. So it should be a <laughs> lot of fun. It's going to be as great. And uh, I've been to every one of them and they just get better and better every year. Thank you so much. You're, you're too kind to say that, Robert. We hope to see all of you at Beverage Week. And please do join us next time on our podcast when we'll be talking about yet another fascinating topic that spans the retail and restaurant worlds. Until then, cheers. Cheers. Take care.